0: The concept of group sow housing and swine production is far from new, but the implementation of California's Proposition 12 imposes a much heavier burden on producers in terms of the space required for gestating sows in a group system. That burden generally means smaller inventories and higher costs, not a winning recipe for profitable pork production. Welcome to Feedstuffs In Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Hyatt-Frobos of Giga Technologies about what exactly Prop 12 means for the swine industry, and more importantly, how producers who want to access the lucrative California market can most effectively build or retrofit their facilities to be Prop 12 compliant without sacrificing farrowing rates in the process. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus is sponsored by Toppigs Norsven, the second largest swine genetics company in the world. Toppigs Norsven's unique breeding program is designed to accelerate genetic progress at the customer level by creating innovative products and solutions that benefit the entire pork production chain. To get more information, visit ToppigsNorsven.us. Hyatt Frobos is the U.S. Commercial Director for Giga Technologies, the designer and manufacturer of Gestol swine feeding systems. Prior to joining Giga, Dr. Frobos earned his doctorate in swine management and nutrition at Kansas State University. His research there evaluated stimulating estrus in sows during late lactation as a means to improve sow welfare, as well as the use of novel feeding technology to optimize sow performance. Dr. Froboza, uh, we've done quite a bit of talking as an industry about you know, Proposition 12 and you know, that it's not something I think a lot of us are super excited about, and we could probably spend an hour talking about all the reasons why, uh, but, but I want to shift the tone a little bit to if if we assume that something is going to happen, the industry is changing What does Prop 12 mean for a producer when you look at the economics, how we set up our facilities, and some of the ramifications of making this transition to being Prop 12 compliant?
1: To answer your question in a nutshell, I think for the average producer looking at whether to go Prop 12 – I think we must first of all understand that for the vast majority of existing producers their animals are housed at a much tighter stocking density than prop 12 requires and so. From a big picture standpoint, at least for gestation and pregnant sows we're going to need to reduce the inventory of the animals in your breeding and gestation facility and potentially part of your GDU now. As part of that transition, we're also going to have to make some infrastructure changes to the equipment you have inside the facility. Namely, we're not allowed to have gestation stalls or or house animals in a gestation stall for more than six hours in a 24-hour period. So that square footage requirement of 24 square feet per sow and the restriction on using gestation stalls are the big ticket items that force producers to have to really weigh the pros and cons of, of this option. And so a lot of producers are getting some incentive from their packer group or from, from other uh, groups that they work with as, as a means to make that transition. And I would say in a lot of ways, Integrators who, who have their own sow production are looking at ways to make sure that they can maintain a good foothold in the California market, which is still 40 million customers and pork loving customers, that we want to make sure that we have a, an ample pork supply that, that qualifies per their demands. Now, with that, I think it's important to realize that we will have changes in the way that we manage and produce these sows because of the restrictions on gestation stalls. And so there are still many producers nationwide today that have 100% gestation stalls from breeding all the way through farrowing. But we also have a, a good percentage of sows who are already housed in some form of group housing but I think that's maybe where sometimes people that are on the outside looking in get a little confused. When we talk about group housed in a traditional sense that is different than, than the Proposition 12 standards, the vast majority of producers in the U.S. today will still use a gestation stall for the wean sow to get bred and to stay in until she's confirmed pregnant at somewhere between 35 and 42 days of pregnancy. After that point, many sows do get moved into Penn housing. And so those farms that have some level of group housing would, would obviously be easier transitions. However, most of those sows, depending on the housing strategy, are going to be housed somewhere between 18 and 20 square foot per sow. And we already talked about the fact that Prop 12 is requiring 24 square foot per sow. Compare that to a 24 inch by seven foot or seven foot six gestation stall, it's really gonna be in that 14 to 15 square foot per sow. We have some major decreases in inventory in most of these buildings, which is particularly troubling when we have farrowing spaces that are the most expensive inside your operation that we don't want to underutilize because that's where your biggest cost and biggest output is gonna come from. So many producers who are looking at Prop 12 are determining A, what is the age of the equipment I have inside my facility today? For producers who have 20-year-old metal that they're welding every day, probably those are logical places where it might make sense to go Prop 12 because we need to do something anyways, and we certainly want to make sure that we, we retrofit an expensive facility to something that's going to maintain relevance in the industry going forward but because of that 24 square foot requirement we're usually losing somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 30 percent of your inventory spaces and so that forces producers to either uh, weigh the benefits of adding on to the breeding and gestation facility or possibly cannibalize other parts of the barn maybe the gilt development site or a part of the extra farrowing space in order to right size production and make sure that our pig flow throughout the facility is making sense. Of course, this all happens in the midst of a very expensive construction year where materials costs are high, freight costs are high, all partially responsible from the COVID epidemic and some international trade disruptions. That makes the the specter of making these type of expansions or retrofits particularly uh, challenging from a cost standpoint, Andy.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because in a lot of ways, you know, it feels like a a perfect storm in a very bad way for a producer who, who maybe is inclined to, for the reasons you outlined, staying relevant in the industry and making sure that you're kind of moving in the direction it feels like maybe things are going in the retail space and so on. But having this happen right now, oh golly gee! So when you're when you're out there talking to customers in the space, what 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 kind of feedback are you getting in conversations? Is this one of those things where the average producer is saying, okay, I might be open to this, but not right now, or hey, we need to take this thing in manageable bites? Like, what's the what's the sense you're getting out in the countryside as producers' opinions shift to? Kind of the changing conditions in the market and economy.
1: Well, that's a, that's a great question, Andy, and and I would really say that I, I see a a, a a smattering of different approaches. Um, there's some that are, you know, absolutely not. We're not going to do this, and 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 if we do, we're we're just setting ourselves up for a slippery slope for more of this. And and I think there's some points there because we see some other states passing regulations that are forming a patchwork of different rules that. I think would be very hard to regulate and obviously hard for producers to navigate and and choose the the right path from a housing standpoint. But there's also a lot of producers who uh, especially see that we can't ignore the California market. And we have to assume that even if some of the standards in Prop 12 don't make sense and aren't backed by science, a lot of people recognize that consumers in general like the feeling of sows being housed in open gestation. And we now have some technologies that help us get that done more effectively. And so there are a lot of producers who are kind of dealing with the challenge by saying, we, we now have some ways to get this done. If it makes sense for us to, to make that move right now due to aging facilities or just the, the structure of their operation, Now's the time to, to get after it, right? But I, I would say that amongst the many organizations that I've had the opportunity to have these conversations with, very few of them are going all in you know, Prop 12. Now there is a couple of integrators that are very uh, committed to making sure that they maintain their market presence in California. And I would say they're kind of driving the bus on this, but as far as independence and smaller groups, I think the vast majority of those sow farm producers are trying to get their feet wet and get a better handle on how to raise sows continuously in group housing and try to maintain production while also making sure that they don't Try to do too many farms at one time. A because of cost, but B because they don't want to do it wrong at first and then have a very expensive change they need to make later. So maybe better to to learn how to do it uh, right on the first one and then make the correct adapt adaptations later.
0: Something you said earlier stuck with me, you know, that, that this isn't something that's entirely new, this concept of of group housing, in other words, or more open type housing. I'm thinking, I was writing op-eds about some efforts uh, from our friends in the animal rights industry to, you know, shift the industry away from G-stalls, gosh, when I first joined Feedstuffs almost 12 years ago. So we've been in this space for a little while. What have we learned so far with and you mentioned uh, rightly that prop 12 uh has a little different set of requirements maybe than the average open or just uh, group sal housing unit that we've been building over the last decade but what have we learned what have we seen that's worked well that could help us navigate whatever that next phase might be
1: yeah uh, great question so you know i i'll kind of segue that by saying that many of these producers i think are recognizing that whatever 2030 or 2050 looks like it's probably going to have more pens and less stalls and so finding that balance that can maintain good animal productivity and good animal welfare and be financially profitable is is that balancing act that everyone's trying to navigate right now but like you said there's a there's a large percentage of the industry today that are doing some form of group housing and I think most people would agree that once we have animals preg-checked as long as we adhere to some general rules of thumb we can we can manage housing groups relatively well That being said, we deal with a lot of challenges around group housing that some of which are are self-inflicted wounds and some of things are animal behavior that we just have to work with. But uh, challenges with aggression are still a presence and we need to recognize that anytime we mix sows, we are going to have a formation of a dominance hierarchy. And so making sure that we time up those mixing events at times that are the least detrimental to reproductive health is really important. And, and there's ways to, you know, set up your pen and give them extra feed at the time of mixing that you can help mitigate some of the aggression. But we're never going to take out biology completely. You know, pigs are no different than other animals that are herd animals, and they're going to have that dominance hierarchy establishment. I think the key that I see with Prop 12 is we now have to have animals in pens throughout gestation. And as we, as I walk you through this, we have girls that come out of farrowing. They need to get heat checked and rebred, usually with artificial insemination. And we know that not a hundred percent of them are going to breed within a set time frame. And so now we have this challenge of how big of a group do we move them into when we wean? Because we know we're going to, they're going to fight when they're weaned. And then what do we do with the, Eighty five or 90% that do breed up. Do we just take out the 10 to 15% that didn't breed at the right time, or do we leave those spaces empty, or do we move them and mix them with some other ones and let them duke it out again. And the same goes when we get to the post pregnancy check standpoint. Do we try to maintain a cohesive group or do we remix. I don't think with prop 12 we can totally avoid some mixing but it's certainly better to only have one mixing event than to have three or four and we certainly want to time it up at the least detrimental times from a reproductive standpoint which would generally be known as the times right after weaning until about three or four days after breeding or waiting until after pregnancy check and after implantation has occurred and that needs to be at around 28 days or beyond to really mitigate any major reproductive consequences. But aside from maintaining pregnancy and, and litter size, we also have the specter of lameness that is a byproduct of, of unnecessary aggression. And so making sure that your flooring is good, you know, is it slatted, is it solid, is it partially slatted? Where are your waters? Do we have unnecessary wet spots or, or slipping areas? Those are all things that become really important in pen gestation in general, like you said. But now that we have 100% pen gestation and likely some additional mixing, we've amplified those challenges. And so it really comes back, in my opinion, to having good stockmanship in your farms. And this is something that some people have done a great job at maintaining great stockmen in in their herds. But there are also some groups that need an injection of stockmanship, because we need to recognize when we need to treat a lame sow, when we need to get her out into another housing situation. How do we manage these mixing events at the right time that we aren't compromising pregnancy? And don't forget the fact that we're using 24 square feet of space per sow. So if we have to take a girl out of a pen and put her somewhere else, if we don't put another girl in there, which we shouldn't from an aggression standpoint, We now have a sow that has taken up 48 square feet of space within a facility, and that is a particularly tough thing to deal with if it happens on a large amount of sows, because now we've taken that 20 to 30 percent of inventory that we've decreased, and we've maybe made that problem worse because we have a lot of sow removals and maybe inefficient space utilization. So space utilization in a lot of these conversations becomes a very important part of the equation.
0: I'm really glad you mentioned stockmanship. I've often thought over the past 10 or 15 years that we've had this ongoing dialogue that, you know, we were really good at animal husbandry and stockmanship, but we had some issues that we used technology, i.e. housing and pens, uh, stalls rather, and so on. We use technology to solve some of those issues. Then the technologies created these challenges, at least in terms of consumer perception, and now we need to use stockmanship to, to solve those. Uh, but but we're also now looking at, okay, how can technology help us solve even some of those issues? It's kind of an interesting cycle or, or wheel or everything old is new again kind of concept. I, I do want to, as we wrap up our time together, tap into some of your experience and expertise on the nutritional front. So as we look at how we manage these girls in in this new, this brave new world, if you will, what are some of the nutritional concerns you have when we're feeding in, in this uh, group housing type situation, particularly if we look at it through the lens of Prop 12, considerations there that you think the producers really need to be mindful of?
1: Well, I, I'm glad we, we can kind of wrap up on this, Andy. And it's it's particularly relevant given the uh, commodity prices we're dealing with today. Ingredient costs have have skyrocketed recently. And so I think it's even more on people's mind to get these sows fed right and, and, and reduce costs where possible, too. Um, you know, Today with with group housing, and I've worked with several hundred thousand sows worth of traditionally group housed sows where we move post-preg check, the general rule of thumb that most production systems and genetics companies and nutrition companies would tell producers is use the time you have them in a stall, again, leaning through preg check to try to get as many of those sows back in the right body condition when you have them in a controlled environment and you have a feed box right in front of them that you can adjust her on an individual basis and make sure that she's the only one getting that feed. When they get to pen gestation, depending on the housing strategy you use, some electronic systems like I use allow you to individually control the sow's body condition because some will fall out of body condition late in gestation but other housing strategies maybe floor feeding or shoulder stanchions as an example we have to feed to the group and that has some some challenges in terms of maintaining individual success but as we think about prop 12 that whole strategy of get them in the right body condition while they're in stalls kind of goes out the window because now we have to have these animals in a pen environment and regardless of whether you use electronics or floor feeding or or free access stalls we have animals in a group and we have a lot of girls that come out of farrowing at varying stages of body condition that need to have their stores replenished and this is particularly important for her reproductive success and her ability to stay in the herd long term and so i think a lot of people are maybe under scrutinizing the importance of being able to individually feed those sows in the first trimester because historically they've been able to use stalls. Now, I think there's a lot of other opportunities as we look to nutrition of what we can do differently, like parity segregated uh, diets. You know, we've, we overfeed a lot of older sows because of the simplicity of just bringing one diet to the farm. But in general, I think the biggest challenge right now with implementing Prop 12 from a nutritional standpoint is how do we manage body condition individually on those sows during that critical time of early gestation? And I think that's something that a lot of people are wrestling with the pros and cons of the different options available.
0: You know, we've talked about some of the costs, some of the challenges, but but I wanna I want to think about big picture, how can we make this bridge uh, one that leads to a happy ending for, for producers in this situation? As you look at all the different aspects and implications of Prop 12 and where we're going, things we've learned, things you're working with your customers to achieve and accomplish, are there any silver linings we can draw on or how, how can we make this transition one that ends up being in some way uh, positive for the producer?
1: Yes, thanks, Andy. Well, I I do have some early reports from uh, initial customers that have either adopted pre implantation group housing uh, previously or are now Prop 12 compliant and, and adapted to some of the standards there, including what we've already talked about in terms of group housing throughout gestation. And while I am I am concerned that there's gonna be some haves and some have nots in terms of Prop 12 implementation based on how successful they are at establishing SOPs. The early reports from several farms that I work with as customers are showing that we aren't seeing the, the major drop off in farrowing rate that some people were concerned with. I have farms that are achieving over 90% farrowing rate with Prop 12 compliance and achieving conception rates that are 95% or higher, and so I think those numbers are are the silver lining that you ask for, Andy. That we we can manage sows in this environment and and do so on large scale systems. But the devil's in the details, and I think it's going to require some good stockmanship and some good standard operating procedures from farm managers and their teams in order to achieve those levels that we've become accustomed to.
0: Let, let's peel that apart a little bit. So if you're looking at the the operations you've referenced, ones that have, have navigated this in such a way that they're still um, doing really well at getting these gilts and sows bred and, and farrowed and such – what are the what are the keys that you've seen? Are there any common themes that hey these are the things they've done well? Whether we're talking about equipment facilities or whether it's that that stockmanship uh, training SOPs that you mentioned, what are kind of the common takeaways where you'd say to other producers you must do this to to navigate this well?
1: Yeah, uh, so there, there's a few things that I think are. Uh, they've they've long been part of my talking points for group housing, but I think the, the importance of them is now amplified because of the sensitivity of the sow around the days of, of maternal recognition of pregnancy through implantation. So the people who are achieving this at a high level are doing a very good job of getting sows into their, their final group or their, their established group right after breeding, not trickling sows into a pen and allowing that mixing aggression to be prolonged into sensitive time points, and they're not letting, based on sow, sow farm design, a lot of regrouping events to occur. And with that, I think parity segregation it receives some amplified uh, uh, acclaim here because a lot of producers who group house post-preg check would typically just group sows by breeding day. And so we, we form a group that are gonna farrow around the same time. And if there's some gilts in there and some sows in there, even though we know that may not be perfect, that's become routine in a lot of places. I think when it comes to Prop 12 and the sensitivity around when we're mixing, if at all possible, being able to segregate old sows from young gilts and sensitive P1s really needs some additional attention because that can help mitigate some of that lameness and reproductive loss and death loss that a lot of people are, are terrified of as they have to put more sows in groups.
0: Thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Topics Norsvin. Topics Norsvin has made natural selection for robustness a priority in the breeding programs, for its TN Tempo terminal sire and TN70 parent female, selecting for specific natural resistance to PERS as well as overall robustness characteristics to further enhance the production performance of TN Tempo and TN70 offspring. The robustness advantage of the TN Tempo has been verified by independent research. Customers report improved piglet vitality, uniformity, and barn throughput as well. Learn more about TN Tempo at tntempo.com. And to learn about TN70, visit tn70.topicsnorsvin.com. My thanks to Dr. Hyatt-Frobos with Ginga Technologies for a deep dive into the ramifications of California's Proposition 12 and how the move to Prop 12-compliant group housing is driving change in nutrition, facilities, and management throughout the swine industry. For the latest reporting on the swine and other meat production industries, visit our website feedstuffs.com. And stay tuned for more information from our new virtual community and events platform, Feedstuffs 365. I do hope you're joining us there each week for a variety of live uh, content in the animal and feed production sectors. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs In Focus. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google. Or you can always visit our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.